Well, as we continue our Advent series, we are finishing this morning Matthew's account of the coming of Christ. We'll be looking at Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 23. We'd love if everybody had a copy of God's Word in front of them. If you don't have your own copy on your phone or uh, physically in print, you'll find that on page 1026 in the Pew Bible uh, before you. Matthew chapter 2, verses uh, 13 through 23. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel, weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead." And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth that was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God, it shall stand forever. Let's pray. So, Father, we need you and we need your help. Father, give us ears to hear and eyes to see that we might see anew your amazing love for us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. On March 5th, 1946, while on a tour of the United States, former British Prime Minister Winston Churchill delivered what would become a very prophetic speech in which he said, An iron curtain has descended across the continent. An iron curtain has descended across the continent. What was he referring to? Well, he was referring to the rise of Soviet-Russian control over the eastern half of Europe, which was opposed to freedom and democracy and human rights. Originally led by Stalin, who killed 25 million of his own people. That's a big number. And a, an iron curtain had descended and would, could, and would change the, the whole course of history for the next half century. But we must ask ourselves, who would be against freedom and democracy and human rights? Like Those things seem to us so clearly good that who would be opposed to these things? 
These are great things that seem obvious that people are not to live in horrid conditions and under oppression. Who could be against these things? And so began the Cold War, a period lasting until Christmas Day, 1991, when the Soviet Russian flag was lowered from the Kremlin for the last time. Who could be against good things? You ever thought about that? Why, why are people against good things? Good things are good. Why would you be opposed to them? Well, as we think about Christmas and the message of Christ, that God was sending into this world His one and only Son to save their people from their sins, that sounds like an amazing thing. We who couldn't save ourselves, God was taking care of the problem, so why would any be, anybody be against that? Shouldn't every be, everybody be preparing him room in their hearts and rejoicing at his coming and aiding him in his mission. The Prince of Peace was coming to bring peace primarily to us and to God, right? That relationship that had been separated and broken because of sin. But here's the thing, while the Prince of Peace was coming to bring peace, that didn't mean it was going to be peaceful. For there were then and now those who were opposed to this mission to reconcile God and man. But Satan couldn't stop his mission, though try as he might. And he tries hard in this text. My friends, nor can he stop the growth and the success of the kingdom now. He gave it his best when Christ was on earth and he failed. And now he has been dealt that mortal blow. And God's church is exploding worldwide. And people are coming to know Christ in droves. And we yearn for the day of his return when all opposition shall cease. From the very beginning, there were opposed, those who were opposed to the mission of the Messiah who had come into the world. What was that mission? We're reminded of, from our text a few weeks ago, Matthew 1.21. For she shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. God was sending his son into this world to deal with the greatest problem that has ever happened, ever existed in the whole history of mankind. It is the problem that is the underlying problem of all the other problems. And that is the power and the guilt of sin. Something that we could not take care of. We are not born in God's good graces, but we are estranged and separated from the God who made us. Because the sin and the guilt that we inherit from Adam and Eve... But it's not just them, right? We give a lot of evidences of our sinful hearts and our actual sins, our, the things we do that are opposed to God's word and, and word, thought, and deed. And when we don't do the things that we're supposed to. And apart from God sending His Son into this world, we would sit, live forever in that separation from God. That separation from God exists here on earth and those who don't know Jesus, but it is much worse after death. In the place called hell, which is eternal. And apart from Christ working in our heart, that's where we're all headed. Until Christ comes and He saves us. And this is the mission of Christmas. That Joshua, Yehoshua, Jesus, remember His name means God saves. That He would come and save His people from their sins. So we, we have to ask, why would anybody be against this? 
This is great news that God Himself would fix the problem that we cannot fix in sending His own Son that if we trust in Him for salvation, turning from our sin and asking Him to forgive us, then He will be our Abba, our Daddy, our Father. And immediately we will be given new life and born again and live with Him forever in heaven. Who could be against that? Well, from the very beginning of Jesus' life, there was opposition. When Jesus was presented at the temple, according to the Mosaic law, 40 days after his birth, something prophetic happens. We read this in Luke chapter 2, verses 34 and 35. God had promised an old man, Simeon, that he would not die until he'd laid eyes on the consolation of Israel, until he had seen the Messiah. And you think after all that waiting, hey, here's the baby, praise Jesus, here are the gifts, that's great. He said a little that, and then he had some hard words. And he says in Luke chapter 2, 34 and 35, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. For a sign that is opposed. Here is the one who would be opposed. And then he says to Mary, and a sword will pierce through your soul also. If you show up at a baby shower, those aren't the words you use, right? And so Simeon was prophesying over the God-man, God-boy, Jesus People might say, bless his heart to his face long term, but behind his back would be plotting his death. And there would be great pain for Mary, ultimately fulfilled as she saw her son being tortured to death on the cross. Her son and her Lord. Well, after Simeon blesses Jesus in the temple courts, we fast forward probably a year, year and a half or so, up to two years Um, Later, And Joseph, Mary, and Jesus have settled down in Bethlehem. They stayed there. Uh, Remember, they had gone there because of the census. And Jesus was born there, uh, according to prophecy, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And they stayed there uh, after that. And so they're there, Joseph working as a carpenter. Mary taking care of of Jesus. Uh, Perhaps he had begun to walk and to babble. You ever think about toddler Jesus? Then as we looked at last week, wise men or magi suddenly arrive from the east bringing very, very costly gifts. Gifts that would have been worth uh, years and years and years and years worth of Joseph's salary. Did Jesus walk over and give the wise men a hug? Did he waddle over and say, Shalom, Aleichem, peace to you? babbling it through in his little toddler speech. We don't know. You ever think about that? It was a year and a half or so. And how exciting it would have been for Mary and Joseph. You know, um, they were godly people, people of faith. But it's nice to have your faith confirmed sometimes, right? And so, you know, the, the angel Gabriel had told them these things before Jesus was born about Jesus... And then the angels had appeared to the shepherds out in the fields. And then the the, the shepherds went to the manger scene. And and they told Mary all that that they had been told. And she treasured it up in her heart. I mean, you know, it had been wonderful to hear all these things said about your child. But then apparently there had been nothing else for a year, a year and a half. 
And here they are raising what seems like a, a normal baby boy. And then, right? And then, this huge entourage of at least two wise men, perhaps more, carrying three gifts, having traveled a thousand miles dressed in royal clothes. They would have had soldiers with them. They would have had servants with them. They would have had pack animals with them. They would have had tents with them. They show up and they bring these amazing gifts, telling them they have come to worship the king. But then, beginning in verse 12 of Matthew chapter 2, and moving forward, it seems like there is a progression of events that moves very quickly. Perhaps it all happens in the same night. It's either the same night or the next night. There's not a lot of time here. If it happened the same night, then after the wise men had given their gifts, they encamped. And in their sleep, they were awoken by a dream telling them to leave and to leave a different way. And so they got up and they left. In verse 13 we see, And now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee. Flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. There's a Greek word here uh, that my Greek professor always told us to translate as fixin' to. That, that, that's, uh, that's actually the correct translation. And it's in here, uh, for Herod is about to, in the southern version, it's he's fixing to search for the child to destroy him. This is imminent. It's about to happen. Now, let me tell you something. Fathers, if you had this dream and you woke up and that somebody is fixing to come and destroy your family, what are you going to do? You're not going to lollygaggle, right? You're going to get up and you're going to leave. And so they fled. Either that night or the night next, depending on how the... The chronology works. It was soon because Bethlehem and Jerusalem are only six miles from each other. And Herod's not a patient man. He's not going to wait very long to hear from the wise men. You see how quickly they go from comfort and joy and, 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 uh, and consolation and uh, what celebration here are these strange men bringing us really expensive gifts to utter and sheer alarm. And we've got to get moving. This is the part that never makes it into the children's books. Um, What's about to happen next? The angel gave four commands. Even in the midst of this hardship and opposition, God is gracious, God is at work. He warns them of what is to come. He protects them, merciful in the presence of hostility. Giving them four commands, the angel says, "'Rise, take your family, go to Egypt, and wait.'" And and to Joseph's credit, he is a godly man. He obeys perfectly. Look at verses 14 and beginning of 15. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. Why flee to Egypt? That's That's not a random thing. First of all, it's the closest place to get to out of the jurisdiction of Herod. It's only about 75 miles from Bethlehem. So if, if they book it, they can get out of the country pretty quickly. Secondly, there were living there about a million Jews at this point, living below the southern border in Egypt. And so they would have had a community of other Jews there who could support them and help them and would speak the language. It wasn't like they were moving to the other side of the world where they didn't know anybody or couldn't speak the language. Um, They would have had community and support and fellow godly folks. And and because of God's gracious provision, you know, Joseph is a poor carpenter. We know they're poor because they had brought 
two turtle doves for the sacrifice uh, at, at 40 days when they appeared in the temple. They were poor folks. They hadn't brought the more expensive sacrifices. And so they are poor, and so praise God, He had just provided for them with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. How are we going to pay for this, Mary? They didn't have a visa back then, and so they had these things to help them. God was so gracious. You know, but it's one thing to obey the command to do. It's a lot harder to obey the command to wait. Certainly you found that in your life, right? In the waiting, we're always trying to find something to do so that we're not sitting still thinking about how we're waiting. And it's one thing to wait for something that's going to happen soon or you have a definite time period, like you're waiting for... um, I don't know, a paycheck to come in that's going to come in two weeks. You know it's coming in two weeks. But the angel tells Joseph, go and wait until I tell you to come back. Now, theologians who've done the math tell us this all happened in one year in uh, 4 B.C. Jesus was born in 6 B.C. They fled and came back in 4 B.C. So this was within a year of coming back, we think. And so it wasn't that long, but how long is the waiting when you don't know how long it's going to be? But for the Christian, waiting is part of our lives. Are you waiting right now? Are you waiting for a spouse to come around? Are you waiting for a child to return? Are you waiting in in the midst of a bad job? Are you waiting as you fight against sin? Are you waiting for provision of a bride or a groom? Waiting's hard. And it would have been hard on Mary and Joseph. There are a lot of times in our lives where we just don't know why God is doing what He's doing. In fact, I would say most of the time, we're never given specific reasons of why God takes us through hardship and trial. It is to make us more like Christ. We know that much. Every once in a while, we get a glimpse of, oh, I see how you use that in my life. More frequently, it's not the case. Here, though we find that God moved the very stage of world history so that Hosea 11 verse 1 might be fulfilled. He he gave the star, moved in the hearts of pagan astrologers to show up at Jerusalem to make Herod really mad and then to show up in in Bethlehem just so that Hosea 11 verse 1 might be fulfilled. We see this. Recorded in verse 15. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Originally this referred to Israel. Stylized here as my son. Being called out of Egypt in the Exodus. But here is a greater prophet. Here is God's true son. The greater son. The God man Jesus. Who is bringing his people out of a greater bondage. Out of the bondage to guilt and the power of sin. And here is fulfilled, here is fulfilled Hosea 11 verse 1. Well, in verse 16 we find that Herod didn't really appreciate his plan being foiled. We read this, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise man, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all the region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Herod had sought to trick the wise men, right? into revealing the birthplace of the Messiah so that he could kill him. But God is not mocked. The true king is not mocked. 
His plans for your salvation cannot be foiled. This was his plan from the very beginning. And a little upstart named Herod wasn't going to stop Christ fulfilling his purpose and his mission. But Herod goes ballistic. He got exceedingly mad. In fact, the King James Version here here thinks, I think it says, wroth. He became wroth. Isn't that a good old word for he is just so angry? This is a paranoid man who killed three of his sons and his wife so that they couldn't take the throne from him. Do you think he took this well? Now, Herod had options at this point. He had options. So this is probably the next day. And, uh, and the wise men haven't returned. He's six miles from this place. It doesn't take mounted detectives very long to get from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. Bethlehem was a small town. Um, and I don't know if you've noticed these, this, but things in small towns don't stay hidden very long. About two years after we got here, we, um, the power went out. And so I was cooking... Supper on our grill outside, and I, uh, we were doing beans or something in a pan over the fire. And I don't know what I was thinking, but I lifted the grill and I grabbed the pan. And I just mm, burned my hand pretty badly. And so I called Colby, you know, he has EMT training, and I said, Colby, come here. And he came and looked at my hand, and he said, oh, you're fine. Here's some medicine. Thirty minutes later, Charles and Carol Fountain showed up at my, office, at my house. See, Colby had told his parents, and then his parents had seen Charles and Carol at the Exxon station, and then 30 minutes later, they were at my house asking me how my hand was, and was I okay? When things happen in small towns, it doesn't take very long to hear about them. Do you think if Herod had sent detectives into Bethlehem, say, did you see a large entourage of royally dressed people with guards with really expensive gifts around the neighborhood last night? Oh, with the big star above the house? Um, No, I'm sorry, I didn't notice that. Uh, Of course they would have said, oh yeah, that's so-and-so down the street. That's Mary and Joseph. You want me to take them to you? And they probably could have followed right behind them and, and taken them over and killed them. Praise Jesus, that didn't happen. But Herod's uh, paranoid. So instead of doing the more sensible thing, he, uh, he sends his soldiers. And imagine the horror. There's somewhere between 10 and 30 babies, we think, on the population that we know of Bethlehem and the region around. There were probably between 20 and 30 male babies under the age of two. As a mother is nursing her child, and the child is ripped from her hands and slaughtered before her. Satan was opposed to the mission of the Messiah. He was opposed to your salvation. And so fulfilled here, fulfilled here, is Jeremiah 31, 15. We read in verses 17 and 18, Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Um, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. I've always looked at that and thought, what in the world is going on here? What does that mean? In the Old Testament, God's people were sent into exile because they had stopped seeking the Lord and had sought instead after foreign gods. They were not faithful to God's love for them or His commands. And so God sent the Babylonians, first the Assyrians and later the Babylonians, to take His people into exile, to discipline them 
This is referring to the place called Ramah, which was the city in which the Babylonians gathered all of the Judahites, all those of the southern kingdom, before they sent them to exile. Rachel here is the stylized mother of the people of God. Rachel, one of the wives of Jacob. And she looks over her people dead in her grave. This is poetic language, dead in her grave. And she is weeping because all of her children are being sent into exile. And so these mothers in Bethlehem, the surrounding region, they refuse to be comforted because their children have been torn from their hands and slaughtered before them. And they refuse to be comforted. Wouldn't you refuse to be comforted? There's pain at Christmas time. But even in the midst of this atrocity, and a great atrocity it was, there is hope. Because Herod didn't get what he was going after. In a very dark day, an awful day, the light of the world was shining below the southern border in Egypt. You've got to think Herod thought that he got what he went for. I, don't, I, I, th- I think Herod thought he got him. I mean, you show up unannounced quickly and you kill everybody. You got the boy. That's, that's why he killed everybody two years and younger. But God had protected his son so that you and I might be saved. Praise God, that's not the end of it. Well, then we read in verse 19, But when Herod died. But when Herod died. What good news, right? Um... Let's not rush over this. A terrible and awful and powerful king who had directly opposed the Lord's anointed, the Messiah, he had died. As powerful as he was, though, he could not defeat death. The wild thing is that the one whom he had tried to kill is the one who would defeat death and undo its power. But Herod didn't know that salvation, he didn't know that salvation because he was trying to squash it. And so Herod died. And as believers, we know from reading the rest of the New Testament that Herod died twice. He died once, a physical death. But Revelation chapter 21 speaks of a second death. And that is eternal death in hell. Believers, we die one time. Physically, we die at our death. And we are immediately ushered into the very presence of God. And we never to die again. But those who don't know Jesus will die twice. The second death is an eternal, everlasting perishing in hell. You don't know why we want to tell people about Jesus? Because of that. And Jesus came to save us from that. But Herod didn't know Jesus. So even now he is experiencing that death. When Herod died, Jesus could return. The angel again appeared to Joseph in a dream, telling him to return to the land of Israel, which he obeyed. And along, along the way, however, there was a change of, of destination. They would have probably been heading back to Bethlehem, which is where uh, Joseph's shop was. He was a carpenter. This is where their family perhaps was. This was uh, where uh, his work and, and, um, and their house and their furniture, they, were, they would have headed home. But when Herod the Great died, it originally would have gone the, his whole kingdom to his son, Herod Antipas. But Herod was a crazy man, and right before he died, he changed his will, dividing his kingdom into three. And his worst, terrible son, who was just like him in all his terror and just meanness, uh, Archelaus, received command and charge over Bethlehem and Jerusalem. 
And, it, and, and the angel appeared to him and warned him, you can't go back there. So they went to Nazareth. But why Nazareth? Why there? Well, have you ever heard the phrase, thank goodness for Mississippi? You ever heard of that? You know, as Alabamians, we usually rank number 49 on most lists. And we say, praise the Lord for Mississippi. That's right, because they're number 50. Well, uh, if you're from Mississippi, I love you. I'm sorry. Uh, So here's the thing. Uh, Nazareth was like Mississippi. Galilee, where it was, was hated by everybody, and everybody in Galilee felt better because it was always Nazareth that they could speak about. Well, what is this fulfilling? It is fulfilling either a prophecy that was never written down or the collection of all the prophecies which speak of how Christ was going to be hated. And so he was born in Nazareth. Or excuse me, not born. He was raised in Nazareth. And so Jesus grew up in this backwater town until he was 30. And he began his public ministry. Preaching from town to town of repentance and the kingdom of God. Proclaiming to all who would listen that if they believed in him, they wouldn't experience that second death. They wouldn't go to hell. They would receive eternal life now and salvation forever. And a restored relationship with the Father. The ability to call him Daddy Abba. But it turns out that Jesus would have more enemies. Even worse, worse than Herod. The religious elite would bring false charges against the king of the universe, fulfilling prophecy if long told. And he would be mocked, a crown of thorns thrust upon his head, crucified, the death of a traitor. There was Mary as she watched. Mary, did you know that she watched her son tortured to death? He came to save traitors. Adulterers, swindlers, liars, cheaters, coveters, blasphemers, his enemies like you and me to save us from our sins. But you know, while Herod stayed in that grave when he died, he stayed there. His body did at least. When our Savior died, he didn't stay in the grave. For the chains of death weren't strong enough and he was raised for our salvation Nothing can stop Christ. Nothing can stop His church. And we know this because we wait for His return. And so we pray, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that Christ has dealt the mortal death blow to Satan, our accuser. We thank You that no one can bring an accusation against the elect. For Christ, He is the one who has brought us righteousness and salvation. O Lord, we thank you that the church is and will be triumphant, and even the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.